Rich Mullins wrote a song, sang a song some years ago. The name of the song is Surely God is With Us. And, and, and the song in, in its entirety is, uh, it, it conveys the idea that Jesus is, is so different. He, he hung out with the wrong people. He did things the wrong way. He said the wrong things, yet everything he did was right. Rich Mullins wrote another song. It says, Jesus, you're, you're just hard to get. You're hard to understand. I think if we were to memorize the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, in their entirety, I, I think we would still be surprised by Jesus, the way that he reacts until we begin to get the mind of Christ and begin to think like Christ. Why is it so hard? Why does it not come naturally? because God expects us to live by faith. And that's got to be developed. That's why we live the years that we live as God develops our faith and turns us into the kind of child he wants us to be. It's a process, right? Um, oh, in that other song, the first one that I referenced, I got off my track. That song, Surely He Is With Us, two of the lines in that song is, who is this man who says he's a preacher. Well, he must be. He's disturbing all our peace. And that's what he does. Jesus messes with our comfort. And so that's what today is. That's what Romans 12 is, especially these from verse 9 through 21, is disturbing our peace. Um, Let's pray. Lord, I ask you to please imprint the message of Romans 12 on our heart. Romans 12 on our heart. We've spent these weeks in it and we have weeks yet to go. Lord, I pray that you would transform our lives to please you. Amen. So this morning, our peace is going to be disturbed. Um we will be without excuse. My studying for this message this morning leaves me with fewer excuses than I had even a few days ago. And so Jesus disturbing all of our peace. Romans chapter 12, or excuse me, the whole book of Romans is a systematic theology. Now seminary students know what that means. I didn't know, it, I never even heard the term until just a few years ago. But in the New Testament, in our very New Testament, Paul lays out in the book of Romans everything we need to know that's foundational to our faith, and he puts it in a really good order. And so he builds and builds and builds in the first 11 chapters, laying the foundation of our faith. And then starting at chapter 12, he says, now therefore, start living in the light of all these mercies. And so here in, you know, in the first 11 chapters, let me read some of the topics that, that Paul lays out for us. Um, God's wrath for sin, God's mercy for sinners, God's, Christ's deity, his death and resurrection, his glorious reign, Christ's intercession for us. 
the Holy Spirit has joined, uh, has poured out love into your hearts and enables you to be the kind of Christian that you ought to be. Your justification by faith alone, in Christ alone. How we in our sins are counted righteous because of one man's obedience, even Christ himself. Uh, he has made it possible for us to be counted as righteous. Uh, about the sovereign power of God that governs the universe. All things work together for your, for your good as you, are lo as you love Christ and are called according to his purposes. And he will never, ever let anything separate us from the love of Christ. And then comes chapter 12. Therefore, therefore, because of all these mercies, because of all that God has laid out for us, because of all that he has done with us, he says, therefore be a living sacrifice. That contradiction in terms, living and being a sacrifice. And I think the only way that we can live and be a sacrifice is by faith. Otherwise we're selfish, otherwise we're looking to serve ourselves. Romans 8, 18 says, we have the promise that sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. Therefore, because of these mercies, we're just covered in mercies. And if the Greeks had bothered to use punctuation, uh, neither Hebrew nor Greek that the original manuscripts were written in, uh, nobody had invented punctuation. So it's just words, text strung together, which is to the great consternation of Bible scholars and great ambiguity. I think if uh, they had invented already uh, punctuation marks that everything from verse nine all the way through the end of Romans 12 would have been bullet points. If I was writing it, that was, that's what I would have done. There just one short statement after another, after another, after another. It's therefore live this way. 30 different points is the way I count it. So starting in verse nine, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Do one, excuse me, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Are you tired yet? It, it, it's overwhelming, these things that we are called on to do. Be constant in prayer. Our verse this morning, verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. And he keeps going. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless them and do not curse them. On through verse 21 he goes. Taken together, these paint a really good picture of what our Christian life is to look like. So if you ever wonder what to do next, just you know, go look at the bullet points and figure out something to do. The only way we can be that living sacrifice is by faith, day by day by day, one day at a time, as God teaches us, grows us, sanctifies us. That's the process that we're part of. Romans 12 is the way we live when we've been broken because of our sin. When we have said with the apostle Paul, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death in Romans 7, 24. That's what drives us. That's part of what drives us, motivates us to live this way. 
After being broken, we've discovered in Christ that God is with us. He's not against us. He's for us. And that neither tribulation nor distress nor persecution nor famine nor nakedness nor peril nor sword can separate us from the love of Christ and from everlasting joy in him. This is big stuff. This is, this is, Jared, Kyle, thank you for calling on Romans 12. This just disturbs all of our peace. <laughs> it, 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 it calls us out to live. So these Romans 12 messages are dangerous. Not dangerous because we're called to live in faith. Faith is safe. They're dangerous because it reveals our sin. It reveals our shortcomings and therefore makes us accountable to being obedient to God. They expose our selfishness. So then, how do we handle our money and our possessions? One of the great issues facing Christians of every age, in particular in our nation and in our age, because we are so blessed, we are so rich. I know some are richer than others, but everybody that lives in this country is richer than the majority of the people on the earth, is what do we do with our money? What do we do with our, with our possessions? For Jesus, handling money was a big deal, and he talked about it a lot. And I want to go through some of that with us all together. He um, gave promises, he gave warnings, and he gave commandments concerning what we own. He rebuked people who were bent on building bigger and bigger barns so for the sake of their own retirement. That's the American dream. He's messing with our dream now. He told stories and parables about hoarding possessions and said that can make you perish. And this is key about, he told stories and parables about giving our possessions by which we can lay up treasures in heaven. That's how we prepare for the future, is by giving away. How we handle our money and possessions shows how we trust God and how we value Christ. And where your treasure is, there's your heart. Contribute to the needs of the saints. That's giving yourself and your things away for the sake of others in need and seek to show hospitality. That's drawing others into your home, your apartment, place where you live or your automobile. There's hospitality there. There's a lot of different ways to show hospitality. Not only just for a meal now and then here and there, but to stay with you if they need a place for a time. Um, and for us, this is inconvenient. Back when Paul stated this, it was dangerous. Um, oh, the, 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 the scribes and the priests are after you. Well, come, come live with me for a while. Come, come hide out at my house. That's dangerous. You know, that, that, that was the environment that he wrote this in. We don't have to worry about that, that kind of uh, persecution. It's just for us, it's mostly inconvenient. I appeal to you by the mercies of God, by the outrageous contribution of God to your need, his inexhaustible hospitality. Ethan and Kara, God invited us into his house, not just as guests, but as adopted. 
That's what you guys have done for some people, for some children. Not, not, the hospitality of God exceeds what he expects of us. He wants us to have guests. He says, I'll take you in as family. I appeal to you by the mercies of God. So I want to consider four questions, four things as we move forward. Uh, number one is, and how is this contributing in hospitality uh, how is it really that crucial in the ministry of Christ and in, in, in the call of the New Testament? Uh, is it really near the center of Christ's teaching or is it a fringe element that can be uh, you know, pushed to one side? Number two, second question is uh, what stands in the way of us doing better at giving and hospitality? Third item I'd like to look at is uh, how do we break free from hanging on to our possessions and hanging on to our, our privacy and, our, and, and not be bound by our stuff. And fourthly, um, what's our reward? Uh, God calls on us and he's done all these wonderful things for us and yet he loves us so much, he, he also rewards us for being obedient. His love is that shameless that he rewards us in addition to all these mercies that he's given us. So, question number one, break it in two parts. Let's talk about the giving part, and then we'll talk about the hospitality part. How crucial is giving? Uh, here's a sample of scriptures, and I think we have, out the, uh, we have scriptures on the, on the uh, board for this. Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Um, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will what? There will your heart be also. Luke says almost the same thing, but he starts a little differently. And I'm sorry, I did not give all of this Luke passage to uh, Jennifer earlier in the week, so it's not all there. Listen, therefore. Uh, how do we do that? Luke 12, 33 and 34. Sell your possessions to give to the needy. And then he proceeds like he did in Matthew. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches nor no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. We lay up treasure by giving away. It's, it's, the math is real simple. The application is very difficult because it's mine, you know. It's not. It's God's. Then the early church began to pick up on this after Christ uh, left the disciples uh, with ministry to do. In Acts chapter 4, verse 34, there was not a needy person among them. This is that very early church in the book of Acts. For as many as were owner of lands or houses sold them. And brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as they had need. That's extreme. The need was extreme. Uh, we may not be called on to be that drastic, but pay attention to God. He may call you to do things that you never dreamed you would do. 
That's how our verse 13 happened in the early church. And then as Paul began to go and write letters so that we could read the letters that he wrote to the Corinthians, for example, in the Ephesians, 2 Corinthians uh, 9, 7, each one of us must give as he has made up his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, because God loves what? A cheerful giver, not giving by compulsion, but giving out of desire, out of, out of motivated by love. To the Ephesians, verse four, excuse me, chapter four, verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Now, this is a very telling scripture. It, it shows us three different ways that we can live. One of those ways is fully Christian. The other two are not. He says, and most of us are past this point, steal to have. I think most everybody in this room is beyond that. We don't steal to have. He says, let the thief no longer steal. So what do you do? The, the, the second level, the second lifestyle is labor to have. But we've turned that into labor to have and to have and to have and to hold on to. And that's not fully Christian. The, where he's taken us with this, and it says in Luke 6, 38, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with, this, for with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. If we give with a teaspoon, then God will meter it back out to us the same way. And so working to have to give is full Christian living. Working to have so that we can give. That's what he calls on us for. Um, there was a period of many months when our facilities were blown away, what, nine years ago, 2011? When our facilities were blown away, the, the, the needs were obvious, they were dire. There were people around us that, that, uh, whose homes were blown away, whose power was, you know, food, everything. It just, the, the whole community was in a mess. And God poured into our lap. He began it. And there were just a big, a large number of Alberta Baptist folks who showed up in the parking lot day after day after day and went out from the parking lot to cut limbs and trees and, and run equipment and chainsaws and, and give away water. And, and Carol, what's your classic? What, what, giving up bleach, I think, was what we finally ended up just giving out bleach and bleach and bleach in, the, in some of the later days as we were trying to figure out how does this continue in, a, in the most godly way possible. But God was supplying our need faster than we could give it out. And then as the need began to diminish, the supplies dried up. But God just, we, we saw him at work in such a way that it's legendary here. We talk about it a lot. And over time, we began to kind of turn sort of inward and, and, and not pay as much. The needs are still there. They're just not as many and not as dramatic. But there are people that are hurting around us. And uh, Carol and, and I have talked a lot in recent months. And, and she doesn't know I'm going to talk about her a little bit, but she, she's she has volunteered to be the leader of our local partnership team. And you've heard mentioned in the last few weeks of the Boys and Girls Club right behind us here. We have an open door there. 
Uh, we, we, we have slots on a program that, that people can step up and fill right now. And we're free to talk about Jesus. Now, that's pretty cool. We also have a partnership developing with Alberta Elementary School. And uh, that's, that's in the works. And Carol is kind of keeping her eyes on that. And she has now kind of gotten to know our local councilman, Kip Tyner. And he came to her, was it last week he came to you about Miss Smith? He said, well, we have a real need and wonder if Alberta Baptist Church would be willing to step in and take care of this. Um, she lives in a little house, old house. She and her husband were able to buy and pay for her, so she can't just leave this house and go rent another place because she's not in the renting business. She has a house, and it's in really bad shape. The gas line broke some time ago. And last winter, she went through with little space heaters in this energy-inefficient home, and her power bills were getting up to $300 and more. She's in debt to the power company. Uh, gas line needs repair. Need to get rid of the little inefficient space heaters. Uh, her porch is, is not safe where people come and go. It was caving in. Um, her front door was no longer secure, and so she couldn't feel good at night. And so uh, when Kip asked Carol about it, she said, yeah, we, we, we can do something with that. Kip even, I don't know that we've, we've spent any Alberta Baptist, you know, quote, Alberta Baptist money on this thing yet because Kip put it on Facebook and her power bill is paid down, paid off. Somebody is coming or has come to repair the gas line, gonna work on getting her an efficient heater into the house so that she can heat and not pay near as much money. Uh, Friday, four men showed up at her place and took her rails off of her porch and stripped off the old sagging, spongy decking and put brand new decking on top of it, put the porch back together, fixed her door where it is absolutely secure at night. And I mean, really, the amount of effort required on each of those different people and the money out of our pockets was minimal. That's one thing. And one need is still in the process of being met, but, but as soon as Carol said, we'll do that, God showed up. That's the way he works. That, that's the way he supplies. If you, if, you, if you wonder in your home, how am I gonna make it from bill to bill to the next bill? Part of your solution may be giving some away uh, because God takes care of people who do that. In church, wondering, are we going to make it from one month to the next month to the next month? I think our solution is to be obedient and decide that the Bible means what it says and to begin to get out into the neighborhood, get out into our community and spread the gospel and do things for people who are needy, demonstrating the love of Christ Israel, God beat Israel up all through the, New, all through, excuse me, the Old Testament uh, as they became, certain ones became wealthy, others became poor. That's the way societies always do. The rich get richer, the poor get poorer. That's just the way of mankind. And God would get on to, to and say, look, you're not taking care and you can boil it down to what Tim Keller calls the quartet of the vulnerable. There are other entities in this quartet or beyond this quartet, but it sums up mostly to widows, orphans, the poor, and the stranger, or excuse me, the alien that is within your city. And 
he warned Israel and they didn't obey and he had Israel conquered by other nations. He reprimanded them over and over and over again because they did not give justice to the people who were vulnerable. And if the, the nation is commanded to do it and the governments are commanded to do it, how much more are we commanded to help those who can't help themselves? That's why God gives to us so that we can help those who are in need. And there are even some within our walls that are in need. Sometimes it may be a phone call. That's the simple kind. There are other, lots of other needs. And Katie, I don't think I've skipped one, but let's go to 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. If I have, let's start back there. He calls on us, Paul calls on us to be methodical, to be intentional in our giving, to be disciplined. Now concerning this 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. Now concerning the collection for the saints, and this was when Jerusalem was starving. The church in Jerusalem was starving because everybody had taken their jobs away from them because they weren't being Jews anymore. They were being Christians. And so churches from outside Jerusalem were aiding the Christians in Jerusalem. Now concerning the collection for the saints, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put, put something aside and store it up as he may prosper. Now, the Lord loves a cheerful giver. And so that when Paul came through or Timothy or one of the other apostles came through, then uh, they would be able to take the offering that they had collected and send it on to Jerusalem to help the saints who were literally starving there. So number, what about 1B, hospitality? Um, Matthew 10, 9, when Jesus sent his 12, uh, 9 through 11, when Jesus sent his 12 apostles, disciples at that time out on a mission trip, he said, acquire no gold or silver nor copper for your belts nor, nor bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff for the laborer deserves his food. Whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. So Jesus built into missions this thing about hospitality and taking care of people on mission. Matthew 10, 40, same chapter, just a little later on. Whoever receives you, this, this is cool. Whoever receives you receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. By entertaining those who are on mission. Jesus says it's the same thing as taking care of me and taking care of my father. That's the way God views hospitality. Matthew 25, 34 and 35. Then the king will say to those on his right, this is at judgment day. This is the judgment of, uh, of the, um, the righteous and the unrighteous. Or, or actually it's the, uh, anyway, it's at the judgment and evidence of our love for Christ shows up there. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. And you know the question that comes after that, well, when, 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 Lord, when were you the one that we welcomed and the one that we fed and the one that we gave drink to. He says, if you did it to the least of these, 
to the quartet of the vulnerable, to those who don't have. You've done it for me. That's what shows up on Judgment Day. Hebrews 13, 2. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. They may not smell like an angel. They may not talk like an angel. When they get in your car, you don't even know if you're going to be able to, anyway, it, if they're going to get out again. Um, could be an angel. First Peter 4, 7 through 9. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled, sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. I hope we get to explore that someday. That's, that's an interesting concept. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. If God loves a cheerful giver, apparently he also loves a cheerful host or a cheerful hostess for our hospitality. 1 Timothy 3.2 and Titus 1.8 say basically the same thing about overseers and elders. There's another topic that we need to flesh out a little further, but um, an overseer or an elder must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, and hospitable. Those who have leadership in the church are expected to exhibit that by hospitality, among other things. Question number two, what prevents giving and hospitality? What stands between us and doing a better job? Um, and, and, and as I talk about this, think about giving to the church as well. That's not literally what's in here. But I, what I want you to know is that as of our September financial statement, uh, October's has not come out yet, but, but as of September, Every dollar you give to the general fund of Alberta Baptist Church, 17.2% of that dollar, 17.2 cents out of that dollar have gone into ministry outside of this congregation. World missions, we call it, which anything outside our parking lot becomes world missions. And so, that, so you're giving into Alberta Baptist is also giving into the, the missions that we're talking about, as well as there are other things. Compassion International is something that's close to my heart, where children are sponsored and fed and given Bible lessons, and there are thousands and thousands of children in this program. Uh, you know of things that are in your heart to give to. And so it's not just to the church, but I think it starts with the church. Um, so four reasons why we don't give as we ought. One is ignorance. Well, today's blowing that. We don't get to claim ignorance anymore. Uh, you may have grown up in a household where giving uh, was never of value to your parents. And, and, and the, the, you would give a tenth of everything that you make to the church. Good grief. You know, I, that may not have ever crossed your mind. Yet the Old Testament teaches it over and over and over again. And Jesus endorses it in the new as a starting place. Now we're talking about generosity not just limited to tithing. But, um, but, but so, so now ignorance is no longer uh, an excuse that we have. So number two, maybe carelessness stands in the way of our giving. Um, I, I had to, to buy this and I had to 
extend my warranty on that and I have to do these other things. And so by lack of planning, uh, the easiest way to plan to give is to go ahead and give when you first get your paycheck and then figure out the rest of it later instead of doing it the other way around. So carelessness is one reason that we don't give like we ought to. Uh, dare I say the, the third one is greed. Greed is the thing that says, if I give this away, I won't be able to have that. And all of us fight it, all of us have it, all of us have it to deal with. It stands in our way. Greed groans when it gives. And the solution to that is not discipline groaning. It is falling in love with Christ in a way that makes it valuable to you to give. So we can pray for that. Finally, there's fear. And if, give, if greed is on a coin, one side is greed, the other side is fear. These two things go hand in hand. Fear of what I won't be able to buy if I give. And so it's just the, the, the backside of that same coin. The uh, answer to greed is the pleasure of Christ's presence. The answer to fear is the certainty of Christ's promises. What about hospitality? Well, there's still ignorance and, and, and carelessness. And, and, and let's talk about the fear part of, of hospitality just a minute. Um, I feel if I let somebody into my house or into my car, they'll stay too long. They won't ever leave, you know. I, and, and, and it, you know, bring them home for lunch on Sunday and I gotta get my nap in, you know. So are they gonna leave in time? So fear that people won't leave. Um, here, here's a good one. This has been the case at my house over the years a lot is fear that I don't keep house well enough. It's okay if you have dust. It's okay if you've got a pile of stuff on the kitchen table. If you're, if you're willing to be hospitable, if you're willing to, to have somebody in, uh, don't let the fact that your house is not in apple pie order prevent you from doing that. We, we just need to sort of declare a holiday on, on dust and some of these other things. The, the reverse of that can also be true. Um, number three is fear that they will mess up your perfect house. You're, you've got white carpet and you're thinking about giving everybody slippers that comes in. You know, you don't want them. Well, which, which, which do you value the most, your house or the people that can come into your home? And so that's a fear that we have. And um, the other fear, which is big with me, is awkward conversations. I don't, what if the Lord does not give me something to say? What if, if, if well, very few times that you'll lack something to say or to listen to as you are a host. But the Holy Spirit, you know, God promises that he will give us words and there'll be words that matter. So we just pray for words and it's okay if conversations get awkward for a little while. It gives us a chance to think. Third question, how do we break free in order to give outrageously and open our homes? Romans 8, 32 is a key verse. He who did not spare his own son, talking about all the mercies of God. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Will he not also with him graciously give us all things? In Philippians 4, 19, 
says, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. He promises that he will take care of us. 2 Corinthians 9, 8, God is able to make, there, there's a key word in this. I'm gonna see if you can pick it out. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Um, what does the word all mean? All, that's what it means is all, every. He is able, God works in every, he's not unaware of what you're up to. Um, do you have a room in your house that needs to be redeemed? Maybe a living room for a life group or for some counseling or a dining room for some eating or maybe a bedroom for someone who needs a place to stay for a while. Question number four. What are the rewards of giving outrageously and opening, opening our homes generously? The suffering of the saints will be relieved or at least diminish. That's your reward. If you see suffering relieved, can you be rewarded by that? Can you be gratified by the fact that you've helped somebody? Well, maybe going into it, it doesn't seem so fun, but coming out of it, every time I've ever been involved in helping in that way, it becomes delightful. The ride home after having helped somebody is, a, is a, usually an enjoyable time, right? Um, the glory of God is displayed, Matthew 5, 16. Let your light shine before others that may, they may see your good works and give glory to God your Father who is in heaven. So you get to glorify God by your activity. That's a reward, that's, that's, that's a good reward. Uh, more thanksgiving to God is let go, is unleashed, 2 Corinthians 9, 12. The ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. Many thanksgivings to God because of what you do. You are, uh, you're grateful for your home. You're grateful for your car. God has given you these things. The, the test is, are other people glad you have that home? Are other people glad you have that car? There, because that then gives glory to God when you use these things to honor him. Reward number four, our love for God and his love in us is confirmed. First John three seventeen. If anyone has the world's goods, sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Your giving is your own reassurance that God is at work in your heart, that God is abiding in you. That's, that, that's motivation enough all by itself to respond to this demand of, of Christ. Finally, we lay up treasure in heaven. Verse 12, we already read this verse. Luke 12, um, 33 and 34, sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that, that does not fail. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Randy Alcorn wrote a little book. Uh, our Sunday school class has been studying another book by Randy Alcorn on heaven. And we've had the most delightful time looking at our future and getting an eternal perspective on what is laid up for us in the future and what a short period of time we really are alive here on earth. Uh, Randy Alcorn's testimony, I have run across in the process of reading him and in this book, it is given in chapter three, 
Um, I don't have time to give it now, but his testimony is pretty amazing. What he has done, the trouble he got in, into standing up for God, and the, the, the strategies that he used to keep from uh, allowing a judge to use him and his wife to fund abortion because of penalties that were granted in court. And it led to him establishing an organization called Eternal Perspective Ministries. And as a part of that, he's written over 50 books. He lives in a model, modest, middle-class American home, doesn't get a lot of income. He makes millions of dollars with his, um, his organization. And every month, he and his staff members sit down and decide what places they are going to give to all the proceeds and the profits. Um, there are books out on the tables where the Lord's Supper cups were. There are now these books. There's at least enough for every family here, maybe more than that. Uh, there's yours for the taking. I would love for you to read these and look. It, it fleshes out in a far more detail and going in some different directions than I've been able to today, talking about how God expects us to live as Christians and, and, and how we do that. And he puts an eternal perspective on that. So therefore, I exhort you, Alberta Baptist Church, to contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Let's pray. Lord, I pray you would imprint these words and these truths on our hearts. And I pray that you would transform our lives to conform to your will for us. Father, please keep us aware. Work within our hearts, work within our minds. Father, please change us to think like Christ and to, and to be obedient to your commands. These things we lift up in Jesus' name. Amen.